Aloha everyone, Ronnie Landis here and welcome to another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis, and also the founder of the Holistic Health Mastery Nutrition Certification Program, and you can find more information on that at holistichealthmastery.com. So today's show is really interesting, a very unique show, and it's part of the remastered interview series of all the interviews I did, all the interview archives I had put together from my 2013 interview uh, series, a podcast that I had, the um, uh, what did I call it? It was the Expanded Health and Human Potential radio show. And I just archived all those interviews when I took the podcast off, and I'm reintroducing it on this one right here for all of you. So today's guest is a man named Tyler Tolman, and Tyler Tolman is a raw food and health educator that has literally been in the field for over a decade, probably a lot longer than that, and he's just a dynamic educator, speaker, and online writer. And really puts out a lot of great content, a lot of controversial content, and stuff that really needs to be given a voice to. So I really appreciate Tyler's perspective. And I first became aware of Tyler through his father, actually, Don Tolman, who's something of a legend in the holistic health and natural foods field. He's something of an Indiana Jones of holistic health, I guess you would say. He toured around the world and seeking um, a certain ancient um, you know, food called pulse. And Tyler talks a lot more about that, so I don't want to give that, that away, but just a really fascinating exploration into Tyler's history of being raised by his father, Don, and kind of going off the, the health path getting caught up in some of the, the obstructive patterns that a lot of us get caught up, caught up in in our youth, and then coming back around under the tutelage of his father and really learning the ropes of holistic health, of fasting, of cleansing, purifying the body temple, and transforming his health, and in turn transforming his vocation into being a voice for the message of health and natural food. So i just really excited about this interview. It's really, really fascinating and goes into different twists and turns that most people don't discuss. So without further ado, I want to present to you Mr. Tyler Tolman. Enjoy. Hey everybody, this is Ronnie Landis bringing you another edition of the Expanded Health and Human Potential radio show. So today I am very excited. I'm always really excited, but I'm really excited today because we're kind of jump-starting the show back on. We took a, about a month or two hiatus because I went on a, a speaking tour um, across the East Coast and I took a little break and... I'm ready to jump back on with you guys, and today we have a very special show. I'm bringing on someone that I have the utmost respect for and really a lot of fascination into the work that he's doing 
I first heard about this individual through actually the work of his father, who I've been a student of for a number of years now, who a lot of people here might know of, um, Don Tolman. Well, his son is Tyler Tolman, and he is a, um, I guess you could say like gastronom- gastronomic explorer, health explorer, just someone on the leading edge of um, conscious exploration and really uh, natural foods and natural health. And um, we have a whole host of topics that we're going to jump into with this individual. So without further ado, let me bring on Mr. Tyler Tolman. Hello, this is Tyler Tolman. Uh, thanks for the wonderful introduction. That was fabulous. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really excited to have you on. And um, you're doing a lot of exciting work in the world. And um, you're definitely pinpointing some of the focuses that I'm I'm really interested in, some of the things that I'm really focused on, not just with you know helping other people with their health, but helping myself as I as I, you know, fine tune my own, my own physiology. And some of those topics are things like colon cleansing and fasting and, um, just fine tuning, kind of dialing in, um, you know, how to use this body in our body and mind, um, just in more of an effective manner. So, um, I want to, I want to really just, uh, give you a lot of, um, now, I'm not sure what the word is. I guess I'll just say I, was, I want to show you a lot of respect for the work that you're doing. And um, I guess to jump into it, I, I'm really curious what got you started on your health path? Because I know that your father, Don Tolman, has been a leading health educator and explorer for a long time. Um, but I'm kind of curious what what got what tripped the trigger for you to, to carry on this message? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. Um, and I would probably have to point myself um, to two different times in my life. One of those times being, um, you know, I was raised by my mother. I was raised in a typical American type of lifestyle, you know, with the school lunching system, you know, with their pizza and burgers and processed foods and mm-hmm. school lunch milk and all that type of stuff. And as a teenager, um, I went to stay with my father on a 200-acre farm. And moving from a, a really big city in Washington State to all of a sudden being out on a farm where there was peacocks and swans and ducks and, you know, he's growing all his own food, um, you know, is a it was a massive just paradigm shift for me um, to, yeah, to see what he was consuming, to see the way that he lived, how much energy and happiness I, I noticed as well was quite different from what I was used to. And one summer, um, every summer, he, he had people come out with, you know, different stages of cancer and skin diseases and diabetes and heart disease and all types of different issues and he would simply teach what he called the words of life. Um, and he also referred to this as the seven principles of health. And the summer that I was there, you know, I got to experience all of these people coming out. And if you can imagine, you know, some 20 to 30 people arriving, you know, in this paradise with all of these different issues, it was, uh, it was pretty shocking, actually, um, to see what was happening. I was kind of taken back by it all. 
um, but developed some really interesting relationships with some of these people that had come out. And I just noticed that day by day, a little, you know, just a little more life came into these people, you know, and he, he had very specific things that he would do every day from breathing exercises, long walks, laying out in the sun, and then pulling fresh, you know, vegetables and greens out of the garden, you know, fresh fruit out of the trees and putting them through a juicer. And I, you know, I had this big impact in my life. Um, and then I would say, I went away from that, went back to live with my mother, uh, but that was a huge impact what that did. And then I went back to live with my father when I was 16 years old. I had had enough with the big city. Um, you know, I was in high school and just didn't like what I was seeing. You know, to be honest, I got into marijuana, was smoking cigarettes, eating crap food, and, you know, it just really took its toll um, on my life and on my overall health. And so I had this memory in the back of my head of this, you know, amazing lifestyle and my father and all these attributes attached. So I called him one day and said, Dad, I want to come live with you. I'm tired of living the way I am. And he literally flew me out um, the next day. He said, to have your mom take you to the airport and I'll have a ticket waiting for you. So I flew out to live with him and he sat me down and really you know, told me a whole story about his life and his travels around the world and the different cultures from Native American and, you know, Central American tribes to, you know, different cultures around the world. And it really inspired me. And he was, you know, really inspired by this food called Pulse, which was this, you know, sacred, you know, meal that these different cultures used to eat. So that was pretty cool as well. Uh, but the reason it was such a big impact is because we started you know, making this food and taking it out to different cities around us, eventually to different states around us. And I got to experience firsthand, not only my father standing up in front of, you know, 10 people, 50 people, 200 people in different cities and being very inspiring. But the most inspiring part to me was we'd go into these cities, you know, I would set up this little back table um, and my father would go up and speak to all these people, absolutely inspirational, you know, of what he's seen in his life, what he's experienced. And, and people would be inspired um, to get on these little programs, which, you know, we had this little 30 day kit. You know, people would eat this stuff called Pulse and do a colon cleanse and drink more water and do some of the things that he talked about. And, you know, we'd go and we'd tell people about this and then we'd leave. And about a month later, we would come back because those people would go out and get other people and it would be a bigger, you know, presentation. But the most inspiring thing is I, I, I'll never forget every city we went into, there was, you know, a good five, <laughs> you know, it seems like there'd be more, but a good five people, maybe 10 people that actually did what he said. They would actually drink more water and do a colon cleanse and eat this little food and, you know, have kind of a raw food diet for 30 days. And this is, you got to understand, this is 17, 16, 17 years ago. Mm. This is back before, you know, anybody even heard of raw food. This is back where, you know, if you're talking about fasting, people are like, what? You're not going to, you're going to skip a meal? You know, you're not going to eat food for a day? You know, and we're talking about fasting for seven to 21 days at a time. And so, yeah, the biggest impact was going into these cities and all of a sudden I, we would get mobbed. Like, you know, big guys would come up and like grab us and shake us and be like, oh my God, I've lost 30 pounds, you know, like 
since you guys left, my life is transformed. I have energy for the first time. I feel like this cloud's lifted off of my head. <laughs> and yeah, just the reactions that, that I saw every time we traveled from the people that actually followed these principles were life-changing. And, you know, that, that was the most inspiring thing that's, that really got me started on this journey to health. Wow, wow. That, that, that is a that really is inspiring, inspiring story. story. That you know, it, it's interesting. Um, real quick, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, that that's such an interesting story um, because I would have assumed that you know you would have uh, been brought up this way. So I find it even more fascinating that you know you, you were brought up kind of very similar to how most of us grew up, and then through the hero's journey or, you know, whatever, whatever, um, you know, archetypical language you want to use. I find it very fascinating how your father, who's been traveling around the world and has been on this exploration, um, kind of shows up throughout some period in your life. And then it makes such a, such a powerful impact from you experiencing one side of the coin and then you experiencing the other side of the coin. Um, I'm always inspired or I'm always interested to see how people's lives change from, you know, a single influence. And, and your situation seems to be um, one of those cases. So, you know, I, I just want to mention real quick before we move on here, your father, I saw him speak in Los Angeles um, during actually David Wolf's longevity conference. I think it was like two years ago or something. Yeah. And I was walking by the back hall, and I see um, I see Don walking walking by, and we didn't really exchange many words, but we kind of caught eyes, and he just looked at me with uh, this incredible honesty and sincerity in his eye, and he put his hand on his chest. He was still walking, but he just kind of looked at me, and we we had a like a five second little moment of uh, silence. It was it was interesting. So. Um, yeah, I, you know, uh, it, it, everything you just said was pretty, um, pretty powerful for me. Um, so I want to, you know, where I want to move on with this is you mentioned Pulse. And obviously there is a lot of history surrounding that word and that food. And I just want to kind of get to the bottom of it. What exactly is Pulse? What is some of the history behind it? And um, anything else that you want to talk about? Um, about pulse. Okay, you know that's that's an easy place for me. Cool. Um, you know, my dad when I first moved to live with him, like I said, I was about sixteen years old. Uh, I was smoking cigarettes. I was smoking marijuana. I was eating crap food, and literally the day I arrived, I quit all of that. Like, you know, I made a decision right then. Like, I didn't. I wasn't smoking anymore. I was going to do any drugs. I was going to change my lifestyle and eat whatever food he provided. You know, given I did sneak sneak away and have you know little bits of meat here and there, just because you know was, that was a little harder transition. Um, but he sat me down and said, "You know, look, son, I want to talk to you about you know why I haven't been in your life as much as I would like to, and it's because I've I've had a dream since I was eight years old." And I've honored this dream and this passion. I've been traveling around the world in a search for this, you know, ancient sacred meal that was talked about in the Judeo-Christian literature of the Bible. And he, he basically opened up the Bible and said, look, when I was 
eight years old. I grew up in this very town. It was a town called Salem, Utah. And he said, I'd moved into this town from a little mining town of a population of about 20 people. And all of a sudden was in this massive metropolitan area of 500 people. And he said, every Sunday, if you know Utah, Utah is a place uh, with people called Latter-day Saints or Mormons. And they'd come knock on his door every Sunday and say, hey, you know, do you want to come down to what they called Sunday school, which is a little church gathering? And he would always say no, just because... You know, Sundays were his days to get away and go ride his bike and be up in the mountains and all that stuff. So he'd never had any exposure to religion whatsoever. Um, Just to give you a little context, his mother was about 400 pounds, so she was severely overweight. Um, His father was a hunter, uh, quite abusive, also an alcoholic. And, you know, my father at this young age, you know, saw, you know, the chickens and the pigs and the different animals that they had really became friends with them, really enjoyed having these animals. Uh, but come, you know, once a month, they would go ahead and grab a hold of some of these things and hack their heads off, pull their feathers out and cook them. And my father couldn't help but absolutely be abhorred at this sight of killing these animals and then just looking at his father and the abusiveness and his mother and being overweight and watching them eat this, you know, these dead carcasses of animals, so to speak, uh, he was really turned off by it. And so he, he made a decision not to eat the meat, um, which his parents didn't really agree with. And there's a reason I'm telling you all this. Um, one Sunday he got a knock at the door And he decided, okay, you know, I'm going to go down with, you know, my friends, Melvin Lake and this other kid and just kind of see what they do down there. Uh, They've been, you know, trying to get me to go for months and months. So he goes down to this little Sunday school and he's sitting in this little class. And it was Melvin Lake's mom had the Bible open and she was reading out of Daniel, the first chapter of Daniel. And Daniel, you know, is a prophet of the Old Testament of the Bible. And it's talking about a time of King Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. And King, King Nebuchadnezzar ruled the world. He basically, you know, ruled Babylon, which is the most, you know, wealthiest, profound country of the time. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar basically wanted to gather together all of the fairest of flesh of young men. You know, a really smart thing. Go out and gather together all the youngest men, which are without blemish, that are strong, which are clear, and let's bring them together into an encampment. So it said that they brought, you know, somewhere between three to 5,000 young individuals to teach them the tongue of the Chaldeans, to teach them in mathematics and astrology and, and language and, you know, all these different things, and also to teach them the art of warfare and build them up to be, you know, a really educated and powerful race. And the idea was, you know, after three years, you know, they would pick out who are going to be our captains in our armies and our generals and who's going to be my personal advisors, who are the most intelligent, who are the strongest. Well, within this time frame, uh, there were four individuals that were taken from a certain place. They were believed to be from a group called the Essenes. Have you heard of the Essenes? Absolutely. So this was a a group of individuals who tilled the earth and worked with the land, very strong, very intelligent, 
Um, they ended up putting some scrolls in the mountain called the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were discovered later on. And there's some books that have been, um, you know, translated, uh, one called the Essene Gospel of Peace. That's right. But that's beside the point. Um, these four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were brought into this encampment, Melzar, who was in charge of uh, giving all of the food to all of these individuals, um, they were giving even the best of the king's food, it said, the best of the meats and the best of the dainties and even the things the king himself had. So they wanted to feed them the best of the food, but Daniel and these three other guys refused to eat the king's food, and they said, give us pulse to eat and water to drink for the entire period of three years. Now, the captain, Melzar, at the time said, look, guys, if you guys are snacking on, you know, twigs and berries and drinking water and pretty much fading away while everyone else is having the king's food, you know, the meats and things and doing really well. Well, if the king finds out you're not doing so good, you know, and it's because I didn't feed you properly, then he'll have my head, basically. And Daniel, in Daniel 1.12, said, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, and give us ten days to prove to you by eating pulse and drinking water, we will appear brighter upon our countenance and fatter upon our flesh. So basically it was a challenge saying, hey, just let us eat pulse for ten days, and you be the judge. If we look like we're you know, not doing well, then we'll gladly go to the food that you have. So it says they went the ten days, and this he basically was looked upon, and they you know, looked like they were doing great. So they removed the portion of the king's food and gave these four guys nothing but pulse to eat and water to drink for this period of three years. And after three years, King Nebuchadnezzar basically came in along with his advisors and tested all of these individuals in different areas. And it says that none were found greater than Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in fact, they were found to be 10 times more learned, more intelligent than anyone else in the king's realm, including the teachers, and that they appeared to be stronger than anyone else as well. So let's just go back to my father being an eight-year-old who is an outcast because he refused to eat the meat that his mother and father were serving. And all of a sudden, his first exposure to this thing called the Bible is talking about these guys who refuse to eat the meat and ask for this food called pulse. And pulse all of a sudden, you know, is going to make you 10 times more intelligent and stronger. <laughs> you can imagine this eight-year-old absolutely freaking out like, oh, my God, you know, i got to get me some of this pulse. <laughs> and, you know, the sad part is, you know, when, when she's done reading this story, he's like, awesome, that's, a, that's the best, that's the coolest story I've ever heard. Like, where do I get pulse? And you can imagine his disappointment when the teacher had no clue what it was. So that set him on a bit of a journey. Even when he was young, he actually would travel, hitchhike to Provo in different libraries and was, you know, searching for the different means. And there were, you know, Bible lexicons and concordances and things that would say it was fruits. And other definitions said it was vegetables. Some said it was the seeds of leguminous plants. And there are all kinds of different confusing definitions. But eventually he started to travel. And uh, basically, you know, I don't want to sit on here for an hour telling you the whole story. But to make a long story short, he eventually, um, you know, in his late 
20s to 30 years old about. He ended up getting a job working for a private arts collection where they had scrolls and documents and all kinds of different things. And he eventually found a translucent green glass case that had a scroll inside of it. And this happened to be transliterated by a mystic by the name of Leadbeater, who had, yeah, translated the whole thing. And the whole document was a firsthand account uh, from Daniel about the body being a, a temple. And it had the entire organization of the temple, you know, the third eye being the first sight or Godhead, and the 12 cranial nerves being like the 12 apostles, the representation, the two counselors, or sometimes seeing eyes, which were the eyes of the head, the seven holes of the head being the quorum of the seven. Um, There's a lot of really interesting things um, about bringing offerings of life and light that, you know, hopefully we can get into at some point. Um, But at the end of this document, it had the exact ratios of this food called pulse in dried fruits, nuts and seeds, and even tubers based on a mathematical proportion um, that was learned from ancient Egypt. And, you know, I've had a lot of time um, since hearing this story to do a lot of research and look into different things and have had beautiful confirmations um, reading The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. I'm not sure if you heard of that book. I have heard of that book. Yeah, beautiful book. Um, If you can see it, I have it on my desk, and it's this massive book with these big, full-color lithographs. you got to open it up, and it's just huge. Um, And there's writings from Pythagoras. Now, Pythagoras was known as the father of numbers, and he traveled to Egypt and stayed there for quite a few years, becoming a master physician. Um, He was actually forced to fast for 40 days and 40 nights on water before they would even allow him um, to learn with with the teachers from Egypt. They said that he was too much in his head and too much of a scholar to be able to learn the wisdom of Egypt unless he was willing to fast and fully get into his heart space. Wow. Anyways, Pythagoras um, ended up talking about the meal of Hercules and also was using sacred meal offerings during and after his fasts. Um, And he created a school called the Pythagorean Academy. And people that wanted to learn there would literally have to fast. And for three years, again, this is interesting because Daniel went three years, Pythagoras would require his students to live on this food basically called pulse for a three-year period. Uh, before they were a full member of the Pythagorean society. Mm-hmm. So just just brilliant stuff, man. You know, people that don't know about Pythagoras, he actually put together the diatonic scale of music, was absolutely brilliant mathematician, but not only was he brilliant, he was also a Greco-Roman wrestler. He entered the Greek Olympics. He trained some of the best fighters um, and Greco-Roman wrestlers, fails and others and yeah just amazing stuff and you know even more confirmation came to me one day when i'm sitting on the couch and watching uh i believe it was national geographic and they had this video of breaking into this tomb and all these archaeologists were excited about how this is going to be the next king tut's tomb discovery because there was a big tomb there And they were all disappointed when they opened up the tomb 
because the only thing inside the tomb was all these it wasn't a mummy at all it was actually all these little bowls there was hundreds of these little bowls and one of the archaeologists went over and picked it up and there was an inscription on the inside that said sacred meal and the number 26 and that's absolutely profound i jumped off the couch freaking out because there's 26 <laughs> ingredients in this meal called pulse and it's just this profound confirmation. Everybody in this little room and watching the TV show probably had no clue what it meant. And they were all disappointed they didn't find this mummy. But what they did find was barley grains and date pits and all types of remnants of different kinds of foods that were in these big pots as well. Mm. So interesting stuff. Yeah, it's extremely fascinating to me um, how this simple thing, I guess this pulse essentially is the basis of what we might call like the Daniel diet. Mm. Um, Traveling back to that story on Daniel and um, how it correlates with like the Essene Gospel. Um, I remember reading that book, the Essene Gospel, a piece years ago, and that having a very... Um, subtle but um, yet profound effect on my perception involving the connection between spirituality, philosophy, and kind of what we would term as the raw food approach nowadays or more of a vegetarian approach. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up Pythagoras and like Pythagorean um, teachings. Um, Pythagoras was an avid vegetarian, right? Yes, and he's known for his quote... Um, you know, all of his quotes about vegetarianism as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so interesting because you, you had mentioned earlier, you know, when I was kind of probing, like, hey, what is Pulse exactly? Because I had heard all these different kind of like definitions. It's nuts and seeds and then it's fruits, like you mentioned, twigs and berries. And um, it's uh, it, what I'm kind of what I'm kind of finding out is that it's really just the basis of just raw natural food and just very simple foods that when you put them in their correct organization, I guess this has to do, this possibly has to do with maybe like sacred geometry or just kind of mathematics. um, Absolutely. See, the thing is, you know, imagine going back thousands of years and, and fasting and just living your life. We didn't have television. Exactly. They didn't have television. They didn't have entertainment their entertainment was the observation of nature their entertainment was the observation of the stars and the movements of planets and seasons and they were very in tune with something called the doctrine of signatures which you know i talk about quite a bit you know a carrot looks like the eye you know it's been found that it's good for the eye a walnut looks like the brain it's been proven by baylor university it's good for the brain Avocado looks like the reproductive system of a woman, takes exactly nine months to grow, is the best fats for you know, a woman to put on weight during pregnancy, etc., etc. Tomato looks like the heart, four chambers, all of this. Right. So another observation that they had was that there are different levels at which things grow. There's things that which grow above the ground or to the heavens that are heaved up. There's things that grow on the main floor of the earth and there's things that grow underneath the ground and they were all about these tripartite parts parts of three and if you look at the human body you simply look at your hand if you look at your fingers they have these three measures on your Ah. finger 
if you look at your arm, you have the hand, you have the forearm, and the upper arm. Right. And these are all in very specific proportions based on sacred geometry. If you look at the face, there are three portions, bottom of the chin to the nose, nose to the brow, brow to the top of the head being in certain proportions. Um, and what they recognize is that there are different quantities of foods available at these different parts. And then they also realized that, you know, the body is a temple. And they actually referred to it at one time as King Solomon's temple. And I'm sure you've heard of King Solomon. Of course. So it was said that he built the most perfect temple. And it was based on these three parts. And King Solomon, that wasn't his actual name. He actually took on the name Solomon when he perfected his own temple. And when he perfected his own temple, he was fully in alignment with divine consciousness. And with that divine consciousness, he was able to build this profound temple for people to come and see from all around the world. And when they would see it, it would activate specific things within their own subconscious. It would activate parts of their DNA and do very specific things. But... The, the personal temple, the body, from the bottom of the feet to the navel was considered Saul. Saul is, comes from soul or solar, which is like representative of the sun bringing forth seed or bringing forth light and life into the world, which is what we do in the basement. It's where our reproductive organs are housed. Mm-hmm. And then from the navel to the top of the throat was And that was the main floor. And this is where all of the organs are housed. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that we call them organs because organs are a musical instrument which can be tuned. Uh, It can be tuned with specific frequencies of light from plants, specific sounds. Um, But yeah, that's the middle section. And the top of the head was on. And on is the Temple of Light in Heliopolis, Egypt. And this is where all light is perceived and projected from the temple and into the temple. And you know that light is vibration. And we can see that with our eyes. We can hear that with our ears. We can smell vibrations with our nose and even taste those things. So all of these senses are housed in the Temple of On, which is in the heavens, heaved above the rest of the temple proper. So Solomon's temple was simply the body, and it was an understanding that there are very specific mathematical ratios, and when we honor the sacred geometry of our body with, a, with a, the wisdom of sacred geometry that is housed in nature, and we gather together you know, the seeds and the nuts and the tubers and the fruits in very specific proportions— we can literally uplift this temple and take it to another vibration using these different foods. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's, there's so much depth into it. Um, you've probably studied a little bit of Hebrew in the past or maybe Kabbalah, the 22, the 22 major arcana, maybe even in the tarot. Yeah, I've, d- I've dabbled a, a little bit, but I, you know, to be honest, I never actually, what's interesting for me is that I never really got into any of the 
any of the quote-unquote religious um, factions or really the deeper teachings until I got more into um, raw food and then I started to study more of the philosophical side of it. And that's when I got really more directly connected um, into the religious side. Mm. Beautiful. And, you know, it's it's interesting when we start to look to the to the past because these religions did house, you know, a large amount of knowledge and information just kind of hidden in allegory and with interesting dogmatic rituals and things. Right. Um, but the original 22 letters of the Hebrew, which are also on what's called the Tree of Life, or yes. in the, the Tarot is the major arcana. You were talking about archetypes. It's kind of the 22 major archetypal figures. Um, each one of these letters of the Hebrew language, the 22, actually represented a very specific tone or vibration, a specific food as well. And so it was the gathering of these different foods and bringing them together in a sacred proportion that was believed would unlock the language of the body. I believe that, uh. you know, it's foods and it's the consciousness of foods. I know you're big into, you know, superfood mushrooms, which are absolutely phenomenal for the downloads of cosmic consciousness that they bring in. Absolutely. <laughs> and each one, you know, a walnut, a pecan, um, a sesame seed, open sesame, dates and figs, Sunflower seeds, the sunflower being worshipped by the Egyptians or, or highly revered by the Egyptians, each one of these specific foods would unlock a specific portion of our, our conscious and unconscious and even, you know, raise the vibration of the body in a specific way. And the reason it evolved into 26 ingredients, um, I believe, is that you know, we have evolved. The English language is the tongue of angels. Um, I feel this way. My father feels this way. And, you know, I believe that people even thousands of years ago predicted that we would evolve into a, a language that would become the universal language of the planet. Um, and it would be based on 26 letters. And there were, you know, 26 specific foods. And you know what? It's funny because I had... I had no intention whatsoever during this entire interview to even talk about Pulse. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, I definitely felt it would have been appropriate to get to the bottom of all this Pulse uh, business. And, I, you know, for my own sake, I was um, I was just kind of curious on what your uh, explanation of it is. And um, it, 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 I really – I find it so fascinating. I think I'm repeating myself, but – the you know when we look at food when we look at natural food one of the things as a as a as a speaker i like to talk about um is the history is kind of like the mythology is the storyline that has followed some of these foods throughout you know not just like a hundred years in our history but throughout like the history of the the human species like when we talk about like an olive for example there's a massive amount of historical data and, and mythology surrounding a simple olive, you know. And you said something very interesting, which is um, all these foods have a certain um, frequency or have a certain consciousness, a consciousness surrounding and um, residing within them. And I definitely feel that same way. You know, I, I feel like our kind of superficial 
idea of nutrition, of like macronutrients, of even mineralogy is, is really helping us more tune into or dial into a certain uh, frequency, if you will, you know, to tune up our light body, you know, to tune up our frequency so we can become more of a carrier wave for higher thought forms, for higher frequencies to download different forms of information. And, you know, I'm, I'm leading into the next thing that I want to talk about briefly with you. But when you, we were talking about Pythagoras, you brought up a very key concept is that back in the day, before we had kind of the cyberzoic age of technology, um, people had to entertain themselves with their own consciousness in a way. They had to find different ways um, you know, to learn things, whether it be through studying the, the rhythms of nature, by studying, you know, different material that didn't come from a TV that was not artificial, but was more intellectual and more heart-based. And when you're fasting, it starts to do something to the way you see the world and the way you see yourself. And so I want to I wanna talk to you a little bit about um, from your perspective, what's what is the power of fasting? And maybe let's talk about some of the different variations on fasting. What can that do to help somebody? Yeah, beautiful. You know, you, you brought up some beautiful things in me. Um, I'm looking forward to getting into. And the thing with fasting, you know, also we look at Socrates. You know, people have heard of Socrates right. and say Plato. And they were known to fast for 10 days at a time for mental and physical efficiency is what it says. And I find that, that comment interesting. Pythagoras uh, was known to fast for 40 days and 40 nights on water. And he did that before his examination at Alexandria. So obviously he believed, you know, fasting is going to put me at such an optimal potential and clarity that when I go and take this examination at this, you know, well-known you know, around the world, the highest point of knowledge to be able to really do some amazing things. And fasting essentially is raising our vibration up to its highest state possible. Now, just to simply pull it back and say, okay, you know, what is nutrition? You know, I look at the word nutrition and the word nut comes from the Latin language nux and means light. So the word nut means light, and the word rich in is almost like a transition or a process thereof. Ah. So if you look at the word nutrition, it literally means just a process of light. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about nutrition, okay, I want to have you know optimal nutrition. Well, optimal nutrition at its source is pure light. It's coming from the sun, and the sun is giving off white light. It's giving off a spectrum of red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, indigo, violet, ultraviolet, all that good stuff. And what happens is sunlight condenses into gases, and those gases we call air. And then those gases condense into liquid, which we call water. And then that water and that light and that air create an environment for seed of intelligence to manifest and grow. So then we have plant, the plant kingdom. Yes. 
And we know that the plant kingdom survives off of air, water, and sunlight. And what's, uh, what I find interesting is that plants are very intelligent beings holding out these solar panels and gathering light and focusing very specific frequencies as offerings to the animal kingdom. And they're, you know, plants are very intelligent and they've been around for millions of years, you know, most likely longer than we've been around. And it's obvious that they've evolved to attract us through sight. You know, you have something, you know, like a red tomato that's just absolutely attractive to our sight. And then you have the smell, which activates salivary glands within us that activates certain things within our brain that prepares our digestive system for bringing this offering into our bodies. And then it tastes absolutely fantastic. So what's happening is when we're wanting to get the highest sources of nutrition, you know, we, we're, we need to step back up the ladder because where most people are at now, you know, the, the plants offer nutrition as a direct source from, you know, getting that sunlight, the air, uh, and the liquids, but then human beings are eating that or animals are eating that. And then there's, so you step that down a notch. And if you can think about this as densities of light, you have first density, the sun, second density, air, third density, liquid, fourth density, plant-based, fifth density is animal. Mm -hmm. And then you have animals that eat animals that eat the plants. So that's a sixth density. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And then what you have is animals that will actually eat animals that ate animals. And I believe there's a subconscious knowing that it's the lowest form of light, which is why it doesn't, it's not attractive to eat a dog. It's not attractive to eat a lion or a hyena or a cat or a carnivorous animal. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. it's naturally repulsive because we know the level of light is so dense there's no nutrition for us as humans. So human beings will choose to eat animals that ate plants, which is a higher source than that. So what we're doing is by stepping off of the animal base and going directly to the foods, we are stepping up to a higher, more vibrational sense of nutrition. And then through fasting, what's happening is we're actually pushing even further. We're saying, what if we took our vibration up to a level of even where the plants are living, you know, which is living off of sunlight, breathing deeply, and drinking liquids. And, you know, water essentially is like liquid sunshine. But to start, it's, you know, it might be smart to start to drink the liquids of other plants first. And plants have the ability to still deliver massive amounts of focused nutrition, whether it be, you know, watermelons with the reds, um, you know, carrots or oranges with the orange and these different colors. And I find it fascinating that in all of science, all of the latest breakthrough discoveries of you know, anthocyanins that, you know, you, you need in your body and it prevents cancer and it does all these beautiful things and lycopene, which is good for your circulatory system. And, you know, all these interesting names, they're all just Latin names and lycopene means red. Mm. And anthocyanin means blue purple and carotenes means orange. So, 
you know, all these most profound nutrients that we're discovering are simply the colors. They're yeah. actually the vibration that has been focused by the plant. And if I could, you know, I would love to, do you mind if I go really deep with this? Yeah, I think we have about um, we have about ten minutes on, left on our um, on this segment of our our call. But I would love for you to get in a little deeper on this. This is extremely fascinating. Okay, so in the Eastern tradition, you've heard of chakras, yeah? Of course. Okay, in the Western tradition, we don't recognize chakras, wheel of energy, yeah, whatever, woo woo, airy fairy. In the Western tradition, they call them neuroendocrine glands. Mm -hmm. And the endocrine glands secrete very specific hormones that when in balance, we experience what's called what I call divine health. So around these different plexi that exist, you know, that we could call chakra, let's just use the word chakra or wheel of energy, there's a nerve plexi that's gathered around these wheels um, that have the ability to do far more than we possibly even know. And in the Eastern traditions, there's meditation, there's yoga, there's these movements and different things you can do to activate these wheels of energy. Well, in the kingdom of foods, it is the specific colors that have the capacity to fully activate that wheel of energy. And the colors are already there. We already know that the root is red, then we have orange, then we have yellow, our wheel center, green for the heart. And so there is a process that was known about and done for thousands of years or talked about. And it was individuals who did extended fasting who discovered this process. And it was going for seven times seven. And it was the number 49. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that people fasted for 40 days in the past, 40 being the Roman numerals XL to excel yourself. Um, but moving into to the last nine days of inundating yourself with a specific color frequency, and by inundating yourself with that specific color frequency, once your body was purified, would fully activate that chakra or that endocrine gland to be optimal in its production, um, which when the seven glands are optimal in their production, they produce the next evolutionary step of human, which, which we're referring to as homo deus, which is God-man. And essentially, you know, I know and many people know that our bodies are essentially the last seven years of what we've been eating, thinking, and doing. Uh, every cell, every cell of the body is the last seven years of whatever you've been doing. So there's a seven-year process of doing very specific fasts on the reds, like watermelon and tomato and peppers and the red plants. And then the next year you would do the orange, and the next year you do the yellow, and the next year... And what's interesting is all of this is encoded in Revelations of the Bible. If you read Revelations with eyes to see, it talks about the seven churches. And it talks about uh, a man arriving on a pale horse and blowing a trump and the seal being opened up. The seals were the seven chakras of the body, one being activated at a time. And then it says there were plagues loosed upon the earth 
which was hormones loosed upon the earth and an experience of going through this nerve plexi awakening. So let me give you a quick example. Let's pretend you were smoking cigarettes for years, right? Kind of like I did when I was young. What would happen to the nerve plexi in the lungs is they would literally shut down. And when you quit smoking, all of a sudden those nerves start to wake up and it hurts. You get a cough, you start hacking up all kinds of stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, your lungs hurt. And if you were to smoke again, the pain would go away. So what I'm saying is when you quit smoking, the nerves wake up and it's quite painful. It hurts. You go through all of this detox to get back to a state of health. So what happens is when you start to fast on these colors, the nerve plexi starts to wake up. This is why when you all of a sudden go into a juice fast or a water fast or whatever, you start to have symptoms of these nerve plexi awakening and you feel like you're going to die. You feel sick. You feel dizzy. You feel nauseous. You start to have all kinds of emotional things happening inside of your body. And this is exactly what needs to take place over a certain period of time to go through the detox, to go through the emotional cleansing, to go through all of these types of things to fully awaken you know, these different capacities that we have to move towards this next step of evolution. And, you know, I hope just throwing this out there, I don't sound too confusing, um, but I will just say there's a book called Magnus Opus, mm. and this book was written by my father after his fifth 40-day water fast, uh. and it's, it's pretty much downloads of the entire process. Magnus Opus means the great work, and it's just a process of, of evolution. Very interesting. I, I, um, I, I'm 100% um, on board with what you're talking about, especially when it comes to the, the process of transformation. And, you know, the number 40 shows up a lot as, as a requirement for trans, transformation. For example, you mentioned Pythagoras in 40 days, 40 nights of fasting, Jesus Christ, um, the 40 days in the desert, Moses, 40 years, um, you know, and so on and so forth. That number shows up a lot. And I find it so interesting, the connection with kind of with numerology, sacred geometry, like all these different things that, you know, would seem kind of diametrically opposed. But then when you put all the pieces together, they all kind of they all kind of lock like a lock and key mechanism. They all kind of just like clink, 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 and they all kind of create a bigger picture that we can look at this whole evolution um, equation or picture from. So I really love what you're talking about, especially when it comes to the, the I would, what, I, what I'm equating it to is the nervous system, how when you do certain things like smoking or alcohol or, you know, uh, processed food, for an example, it starts to dampen, it starts to numb literally the, the electrical conductivity of our nervous system. And then once you start to abstain from all those things, it, our, our nerves start to wake up. That electricity, that light starts to permeate again and starts to emit again. And it, it, it becomes uncomfortable, you know, it's like, it's that uncomfortability that creates growth, right? And so 
Um, I think that's a brilliant metaphor for people out there listening to understand that, you know, when you, when you change your eating habits, um, whether it be a fast or it simply is just eating a lot more raw, organic plant food, generally your body, your digestive system, maybe even a lot of the emotions that are lodged in your body start to come out. And a lot of people freak out about this, but like you're saying, this is required for transformation. Yeah. And you're spot on, man. You know, once our, once our nervous system gets to a certain point, you know, we, they talk about enlightenment. Yes. Well, en- enlightenment is absolutely that. You become light. Literally, you become light in your weight and you become light in your nervous system. And they say that, you know, the saints in Christ had literally this light, this glow around them. And there is a very specific, very scientific, very physical process that I could describe and take you all the way through. And you mentioned the olive before. Yeah. And I love the olive because the sound of it is all live. Uh. (laughs) And Christ, after his 40-day fast, some people will be aware of this, went to what was called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he took the olive branch and the olive and literally used it in a very specific way on his body to release every single one of the red blood cells literally through his skin. And it said that he he took on the sins of the world and bled through every pore of his body. And this is one of the last, (laughs) excuse me, this is one of the final processes before fully becoming enlightened. And it's the process of activating, you know, the hydrogen within us. Yes. There's a reason why we have red blood cells. And the reason why we have red blood cells is because we require a massive amount of oxygen to break down the food particles that exist within our body for energy. And that's only one state of living, and it's a lower state of living. Once we step off the ladder, step off the rung of requiring oxygen, which oxidizes even steel, our bodies have the ability through specific processes that maybe at a future time we can go specifically into this, will activate hydrogen. And hydrogen is the most abundant source of fuel in the cosmos. You know, Mm -hmm. the sun is a pure hydrogen fusion reactor. We call it a star. And I believe in our evolutionary process, essentially we are going through the same process of like becoming a star, using hydrogen, becoming a hydrogen reactor. <laughs> uh, and, and going into this, look, you know, I'm, I'm stepping a little too far out there without laying a proper foundation to build up to this. So maybe in a future uh, interview, we can talk about the specifics of this evolutionary process to become enlightened physically, not just mentally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to. Uh, <clears throat> I'd love to to get you back on and kind of dive deeper into into the next phases and stages of this conversation. It's um, it, it it really can go as deep down the rabbit hole as we you know as we want to go. And I know my my viewership to this radio show are just those kind of people who definitely want to take that kind of trip down 
conscious lane, if you will. So um, if not, I definitely want to. So <laughs> we'll we'll definitely continue continue on with this. So um, with that said, I want to say this was a brilliant um, conversation. I'm really loving everything that we talked about and. For all the viewers out there, Tyler, where can people find out more about you and your work? Um, simple. It's just tylertolman.com um, forward slash Pulse if you want to look at some videos and find out about Pulse. Um, forward slash Retreats if you want to learn about fasting and retreats that I put on in Bali, Indonesia. And, you know, you can just look all through the website. You know, I'm mainly on Facebook, as you know, posting articles all the time, really provoking thought and, you know, trying to get people just to the basics. You know, what I'd like to leave just as a last comment would be it's the basics that are most important. Drinking enough water, getting out in the sun, deep breathing exercises, going for a walk, you know, having good relationships and, and simply eating you know, as much raw organic food, you know, amongst other things as possible. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think, I think just to, to, you know, to add on to that, I think for everyone out there, those, you, you're spot on about the key principles of, of extended life and quality of life are those things. And then obviously there's a lot more things within the framework of that. But if we could just focus on those basics as, as a um, you know, a collection of people, we would have such a different world right now. There would be such a different level of happiness and grace within all our lives, uh, and you know that, that like that could be its own you know <laughs> its own hour and a half. But um, anyways, I, I really am appreciative of you taking the time to share with me and the viewers on this call, and we are definitely gonna um, get you on at some point very soon to continue this conversation. Beautiful. I really appreciate the time, Ronnie. Yeah, right on. Well, everyone out there, I hope you guys um, were taking notes and that you guys got a lot out of this call. Um, Join us next time. This has been another edition of the Expanded Health and Human Potential Radio Show.